Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. Healthcare providers are increasingly realizing that home is the best place to provide care, and that's especially true in rural communities where doctors are few and far between, requiring patients to travel miles just to get care. That's the idea behind Homeward. The primary care startup is targeting rural communities where patients are generally older and sicker. The company recently received $50 million in funding and is partnering with Priority Health to provide health care to 30,000 rural patients in western Michigan. I recently sat down with Homeward CEO Jennifer Schneider to talk about this new venture. What we are set out to do at Homeward Health is re-architect the delivery of health and care in partnership with communities everywhere, starting in rural health. And we know that in rural health, delivery of health care is not a little broken, but really broken, up to 23% higher mortality for people living in rural markets. Priority Health is situated in Michigan. In Michigan, 50% of all their counties are designated as rural. And Michigan has the third largest Medicare eligible people living in rural markets. So our partnership to provide value-based care in partnership with Priority Health to 30,000 people in Medicare Advantage is not little, it is big. There's a big opportunity there. And the funding that we announced in parallel will help us continue to expand into additional markets like we're already doing in Michigan. We're seeing a lot of care moving into the home, especially primary care. And as a physician, why is this happening? And I think you alluded to this earlier. Is it um, because patients, especially in rural areas, don't have access to care? There's not the proximity to other doctors. When you look at rural markets, one of the big problems is access to care. The hard It is hard to get care for a number of reasons. One, there's not the same density of providers, healthcare providers per population as there are in urban markets. So it's about half as many primary care doctors and one eighth the number of specialty care providers. So it's harder to actually find providers. The second is that in rural markets, there's a lack of infrastructure. So the roads are not as well kept. There's not as much public transportation. Broadband connectivity in these markets is limited. So it makes it really difficult if you are someone living in a rural market to actually access. So it's not only can you find somebody, but are you willing to drive three to four to six hours for a 15 minute visit? That becomes particularly tricky for people who are hourly wage workers, for example. So when we were building the business, we asked ourselves, if you are going to re-architect the delivery of healthcare delivery in rural markets, what would you do and how would that look like? And so we came up with this idea around being able to, being in a place that's convenient to the member or to the patient, that could be their house, it could be in a convenient location. You have heard of our announcement in partnership with Rite Aid. So we park our mobile van so people, when they get their prescriptions, can actually see their doctor at the same time. So one trip versus is multiple trips. Yeah, and I want you to expand on that a little bit. You're going to be using these um, mobile clinics through Rite Aid. You're also going to be leveraging telehealth and then maybe go into um, people's homes to do treatment. How is that all going to work? How is that going to be coordinated? Yes, our, our first visit, we start with our first visit. And ideally, this is meeting somebody in their house. 
What that does, it allows it to be very convenient for the individual and allows us to understand a lot more about the person, particularly social determinants of health. What does it look like to get into the house? What does it look like to get up the stairs? How many flights of stairs are in their house? What are the impediments in which they may be living relative to their health condition? The second key component for us is remote patient monitoring. So we're able to keep tabs on people um, without them having to come see us and without us having to go see them. So we know today that chronic conditions drive upward of 80% of all costs in the healthcare ecosystem. And a lot of these chronic conditions, dysrhythmias, diabetes, can be monitored remotely. And so we can help make adjustments to in the improve the quality of care through remote patient monitoring and tinkering, if you will, in terms of what those medications are. And then the third is when we need to escalate, we can start with a telehealth visit. But any one of those in pieces by themselves don't accomplish the overarching goal. And so that's why it's really important for us to have all three prongs of that in our approach to taking care of people who are living in rural markets today. You talked about telemedicine, and, and we know that the Biden administration is trying to extend more broadband into rural communities. What you're doing, could this have been accomplished 20 years ago? We've seen, you know, decades ago, we saw house calls were very common, and then the industry got away from that. Now you're getting back into it. But would it be possible if not for the advent of telemedicine? Yeah, I see. I don't see telemedicine as the answer here. Telemedicine has been around for a long time and has not cracked the code in rural markets. Telemedicine is a piece of the puzzle. It is not the whole solution. I underscore that it is not the whole solution. I think the combination of the three components, and in fact, if I had to pick one that was most important to our care delivery here, it's actually the remote patient monitoring. So it's this idea that we can use technology to understand how people are doing minute to minute or day to day without inconveniencing the person to have to make a trip to physically be present or to actually call somebody. So there's when you live with a chronic condition, you're making decisions, you know, multiple times per hour that impact that condition. And our ability to help guide somebody to do that remotely is, ma is a massive expander in terms of improving quality and therefore decreasing cost. But it really is all three of those parts meeting somebody, because I believe that healthcare has to have an in-person personal touch, combine that with remote patient monitoring, and leveraging telehealth as an intermediary between the remote patient monitoring and the in-person visits. My understanding is that when you're in these rural communities, they tend to be older and they tend to be sicker. So by doing this, are you able to capture problems early and avoid you know, hospitalizations down the road, more serious illnesses, more chronic conditions. You, you nailed it exactly, Diane, which is that our ability to track and follow people and nudge behaviors will help them from crashing into the emergency room at that desperate time of need. Let me give you an example. So if we meet a gentleman named Jake, for example, and we're able to go into Jake's house and understand that from his symptoms and his exam, a handheld echocardiogram, he has a condition called congestive heart failure. That means his heart doesn't pump the blood the way he needs to. So there's a number of things that we do to help Jake in that treatment. 
We talk about salt reduction. We can actually look in his kitchen cabinet and see how many cans of prepared soup he has or soup cans, for example. The second is we're gonna put him on a medication to help let some of that water off. The third is we're gonna give him a scale. Every time Jake steps on that scale and we ask him to do it every morning, we can track and see if he's gaining weight or not. Rapid weight gain is almost always water. And so we can start to see where those water is creeping up and we can call in and tweak the medications before Jake has an episode of feeling short of breath and rushes to the emergency room. So we're able to assist in managing Jake and his chronic condition from outside through our combination of in-person in -person visit in his house, remote patient monitoring, and then the telemedicine component. Now, the, um, the partnership that you're doing with primary, the primary health plan, this is a value-based care model, correct? And as you look to expand this out further to other communities, is that the model that you're going to be following? It is, you know, and we talk about, Diane, the, um, in the, if the biggest problem in rural medicine is access, um, it's really difficult to bring people back again and again. And as we talked about, there have been a lot of technology-enabled solutions in the remote patient monitoring world that can assist us. However, in a fee-for-service world, reimbursement for those new models is not a sustainable practice for the provider. And so if you flip, flip it on its head and say, rather than I get paid every time you come back to me, because it's really hard for you to come back to me, or if I get paid for remote patient monitoring that's not sustainable, if we instead say, hey, I'd like to actually own the total cost of care and be responsible so I can use all the tools that I have in my tool bag, whether that's you know, the scale that we just talked about, a remote blood pressure cuff, an in-home visit from a, from a registered nurse or a telehealth visit. And I can use all those tools to manage clinical care and total cost, but do that on a personalized component. You'll be much more successful than if you're asking the individual doctors to maximize their own business in a fee-for-service world. So this might be kind of a chicken versus egg question. So is home care driving the value-based model or vice versa? Is value-based model driving in home care? Yeah, it is a chicken and egg. And I think that in rural markets, again, the, num if you, the number one problem is access. People don't seek health care because it's really inconvenient. So if we can actually make that more convenient and, and have them enter the system. That's a huge value driver. And I think it allows us to look at and determine a lot of those social determinants of health in a way that you can't when you have a brick or mortar, brick and mortar state, uh, place and ask people to come in. So it's a combination, Diane. It is definitely a chicken and egg and depends on which day of the week I'll, how I'll answer that question. But it's valuable for both, both areas. How difficult is it? Maybe difficult isn't the right question. This is a different way of treating patients that we really haven't seen in probably the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years, does this require a new sort of skill set among practitioners, um, teaching doctors how to practice medicine or nurse practitioners about going into the home versus having patients come to them? It's a really great question. So I think in general, the integration of data and technology into healthcare is a new novel sets of skill set. So I'm an internal medicine physician and I graduated from medical school in 2002 and did my residency. I, I finished in 2005 and stayed around for a chief year at Stanford. And I never was trained in any of this. And so absolutely how to think about it and how to integrate it as part of the care flow and the care delivery plan is a key component as to what we're offering and building in the ecosystem. 
We're starting to see some of these bigger companies, these integrated health companies getting into this area as well. CVS, which owns Aetna, um, they are deploying virtual primary care. Walgreens has a partnership with Village MD. How significant are these companies in driving the healthcare continuum and then driving it more into the home? I think everyone has a slightly different approach. I think that care um, with the help of COVID, with the help of technology enabled service companies that have been successful like a Livongo has increasingly moved out of the brick and mortar. That is a very good thing for all of us. It makes receiving healthcare much more convenient. It decreases the cost and it improves the quality. I think each, you know, kind of integrated entity has a different approach. One of the things that I strongly believe is that a hybrid model, an in-person and a technology component are both needed, but a single hybrid model does not meet all patient needs, meaning you have to think through and customize what are the needs of every of every group of patient. And so what we're doing in rural um, is different from what's being done in urban, right? There's different access to different infrastructure, to different resources. And so those require different components to that hybridization of the model. So as you go into these rural communities and you have to, you're going to have to be deploying physicians, how are you going about that and how are you recruiting and, and training some of these people to go into some of these communities? Yes, well, we're fortunate um, enough to actually start to think through having people practice at the top of their licensure, right? And so there's a lot that can be done. You know, I will vary from a very personal story. The first time I was finally through all of medical school and finally through all of residency and got to see my first patient where I had a real paycheck as an MD, um, what I mostly did was paperwork. And it, it did strike me that I had spent a lot of years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to fill out forms that may have been better done at a different resource level. And so one of the things we're thinking through and activating, acting on, is um, in our ecosystem, in our pods where we're delivering care, making sure that we have people practicing at the top of their licensure to actually scale the services component and then leveraging technology as much as we can to take out a lot of that manual work when, when we're and really allow people to do the most specialized components that they can that they've received in their training. So you just launched in March. What sort of metrics are you looking for as you begin to build this company out and you try to look to go into other markets? Certainly um, at the very top of the funnel, we're looking at with whom are we uh, forming partnerships? Again, as we started this conversation, we are really excited to have the partnership with the innovative payer of Priority Health. Um, planning for 30,000 Medicare Advantage lives in the next three years. So that's number one. And then we're hyper, hyper focused on what that experience is like for the individual. We like to call them members and not patients because we like to think of them as people, not sick things, if you will. And so what is that What is that like from a member standpoint? What is it like is scheduling an appointment? What is it like receiving care? How delighted are we making those individuals feel? The second, of course, is clinical metrics. How are we driving the overarching clinical metrics? And then finally, it's the cost. How are we delivering? You know, we have a strong belief that if we increase the experience, improve clinical outcomes, we can do it all with a decrease in the cost. We don't have to be cost as much as as, as previous. So those are the big picture metrics. And then each, each of my teams individually has a whole host of metrics as a very operationally driven organization. You talked about making this personal for the patient. How might you tweak 
this model as you talk to the patients to see what it is that they want? And have you begun already signing up patients for this? We, we launched uh, last week um, and we started to see people. So we're early in that journey. But in advance of the launch, we spent a lot of time in market talking to people. And there's a lot of lessons that you learn when you do that. And I'll give you one that may seem slightly silly, but was was pretty interesting for us, which is we thought that if we were in, able to enter into a member's house with a gift, that that would make people feel more comfortable. And our leading gift was a pie of some sort, right? That felt very you know, conducive with our brand, homeward, very welcoming, very opening. And universally, our members told us that that actually would make them trust us less, that they would think that we were somehow bribing them if that if a gift came at the outset of the relationship building. And so we've taken that part away and focused instead on what they have asked us to focus on, which is convenience, convenience, and convenience. So that means times and it means locations. It means ease of conversation to get scheduled. And so this is a great example of, you know, good businesses are loved by end users, not liked, but loved. And you have to maintain that obsession and focus of listening to those individuals, not assuming what you think will work, but really listening to the feedback and being able to morph the the delivery as, as you grow. You're launching this at an interesting time because, yes, we're seeing more care move into the home. But while we're at a time right now where there's a lot of inflation, there's upward pressure on wages and also on transportation costs. Um, Has that been a fly in the ointment in rolling this out because you're in a rural area and you have to send these people around and gas prices are very, very high? At the moment, the answer is no. Again, remember that, as you, you mentioned, people in these markets are very sick. They often have multiple, multiple chronic conditions. So there is a, the reason that our payer partners are interested in this population is because they cost a lot of money, right? And so we have a lot, there's a lot of care that has not been delivered into these markets. And there's a big amount of waste that's happening just be, by not delivering preventive care and causing the crash into the emergency room. So the question is a great one. You know, we're launching and we'll see, but right now that's not, that is not the gate blocker for us at this stage. Well, good luck. Dr. Jennifer Schneider, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Diane. Appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com. Home